Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench, everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Here comes another episode of Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Podcast. The best moments of the week, ending Friday, November 15th, 2019. Newsmakers talk to Bo Thompson. Direct from the White House this morning, the acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. Good morning, Bo. Thanks for having me back. Uh, Rudy Giuliani, good morning to you. How are you, Bo? Good morning. Talking to the Vice President of the United States, Joe Biden, on WBT. Thank you, Bo. It's a great city. Mr. Trump, welcome to Charlotte Radio. Good morning, Bo. Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence. Good morning, sir. Hey, Bo, it's great to be on your program. Mr. Johnny Harris, good morning, sir. Good morning, Bo. We're real excited. We got our first day under our belt yesterday. The head coach of the Carolina Panthers, Ron Rivera. Morning, Bo. How you doing? You know, I listen to you guys constantly. Chief of Police in Charlotte Mecklenburg. He is Chief Kerr Putney. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bo. Thank you, sir. That is special. Appreciate it. This is WBT's Morning News with Bo Thompson. Now, Mr. Trump, I appreciate. It. I told your people I would get you back <laughs> on to the next thing, so I will honor that. But thank uh, you for. Don't worry, Bo. That was really great, and I really do appreciate it, Bo. Seven fifty-two on WBT. WBT, and we go to the WBT hotline on this Thursday morning and welcome the newest congressman in the U.S. House. He is from District Number 9 right here in Charlotte. It is Dan Bishop. Welcome back, sir. Good morning, Bo. Boy, I love following that promo. That's pretty cool. I love, you're really putting great people on the air. That's uh, That really is a neat promo. Well, thank you, sir. And I want to play a clip from the uh, the the, how, uh, the proceedings yesterday before I ask the first question here. Just to ask a, a clarifying question, do you anticipate when we might vote on the ability to have the whistleblower in front of us, something you, of the 435 members of Congress, you are the only member who knows who that individual is, and your staff is the only staff of any member of Congress who's had a chance to talk with that individual. We would like that opportunity. When might that happen in this proceeding today? First, as the gentleman knows, that's a false statement. I do not know the identity of the whistleblower, and I'm determined to make sure that identity is protected. But as I said to Mr. Conaway, you'll have an opportunity after the witnesses testify to make a motion to subpoena any witness and compel a vote. So, uh, Dan Bishop, you said on Monday that you knew the identity. You said the name. You tweeted about it as well. That's gotten some attention in the last few days, uh, which would make you the first member of the House to, uh, to, to say the name. Do you know that to be? Uh, how do you know that's him? Or her. Well, look, I, I, I judge it based on the, uh, the items that have appeared in media since late October. I think it's uh, the real clear investigations um, reporting on it, especially. I think it's pretty persuasive. There's an Obama holdover named Eric Char- uh, Charmella. I think I get his name right, Charmella. And I think that's who it is. And I think this, um, it, 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 as I said, he's not Voldemort. I mean, the, the, I. <laughs> There's sort of an, a, a media Democrat uh, axis in which they sort of are attempting to control a narrative and to and they use intimidation like the idea, oh, we can't speak the word, can't speak the name of or have any speculation, certainly no journalism uh, to expose the person uh, who has started this conspiracy of the deep state bureaucrats. That's how I see it. And uh, and I, I what I said was, and someone made the suggestion to me that you know, we should Republicans should refuse to refer to the person as a whistleblower. They're not; they don't fit in the statute. Uh, they didn't act in the nature of uh, what a whistleblower does. And I'm not going to be intimidated from putting the name out there. So since since Eric you Char- said Charmella, we need to hear from him. Since you said that and tweeted that, what have you heard from other people, from uh, contemporaries or, or adversaries? Well, I'll tell you, I'm, you know, uh, new in Congress, and I'm not the biggest Twitter user in the world, 
but I had the most enthusiastic response to that tweet I've ever had. 25,000 people, roughly, I think that was the number, something like that, uh, liked it. And then some other large number, almost 10,000, retweeted it. Uh, I think, and I understand we're divided about this in this country, but I don't think you ever advance the ball by hiding the ball. And I think that's what the Democrats, I think yesterday what happened in the hearings yesterday, Democrats, it, it's either bad or worse news for Democrats. First, it was boring. And I don't think the American people think it's kind of ridiculous. And the second thing is uh, what, what they're doing through tightly controlling everything and attempting to use this whistleblower BS is uh, they're, they're going to pay the price that you pay when you hide the ball from the jury. Because all of the information that's likely to come out that's interesting is terrible for the Democrats and good for the president. You weren't the only person in your family in the news the last couple of days. Uh, your son, in fact, was on uh, the Pat McCrory show yesterday, Jack. And uh, since then, uh, they had uh, hundreds of people turn out last night uh, on the campus of NC State University. Uh, at this appearance by Charlie Kirk and Laura Trump. Uh, there were demonstrators expressing support and opposition to the speech. Now, last night, there were no arrests or major incidents, but we had your son on yesterday because he was uh, he was uh, allegedly attacked there by uh, some, some people as he was trying to put uh, some announcements up uh, at an area on campus uh, that is supposed to be open to people of all, all schools of thought. Well, they had, uh, he was up there with, uh, I think, the college Republicans, and they went into the free speech tunnel that you know of in, in, on state's campus. And, uh, and they put up a pretty elaborate uh, display to advertise this uh, Turning Point USA Charlie Kirk coming to campus uh, speech. And the Democrat socialists showed up while they were there, not to express something of their own on another side of the wall, even to oppose uh, and, and uh, engage in the tradition of free speech, but to suppress their free speech. And they started painting over it. So, right, he and I, and I was able to dial or bring up WBT and listen to the interview yesterday. I'm proud of Jack, uh, and I'm proud of his fellow young conservatives because, you know, actually there's a common thread here. I just mentioned the way the Democrats and the dominant prestige media attempt to use intimidation to try to control the dialogue, control uh, it, it intimidates somebody from referring to the person and that, that in another era, every media outlet would be after to find out the name of the person who's, who's at the center of this complaint. Uh, but in the same token, that's what the left hallmark is now on campuses everywhere is to go in and, and attempt to intimidate and to suppress conservative speech, even to the point of assault. And so that was a, that was looks like it was for the technical assault. Jack wasn't hurt. And, and I think the main thing is. It's good to stand up for free speech, and I'm proud of him for doing that. Congressman Dan Bishop joining us here on WBT. Uh, we have, of course, another day of testimony tomorrow. And uh, I don't know if you saw this, but there's an opinion piece in The Observer this morning, uh, a sad display at the Free Expression Tunnel. So uh, it looks like uh, The Observer even uh, saying that your son uh, should not have been subjected to uh, what he was uh, in an area that's supposed to be uh, free from uh, attacks of, uh, of, of political nature. Wow, I haven't seen that, but I give credit where it's due. If they've spoken up for free speech, uh, that's the right thing for all of us to do. Not free speech for ourselves only, but free speech for everybody. Well, uh, I appreciate you checking in, and I hope we can, can do this from time to time as these uh, impeachment proceedings continue in Washington. Uh, from Washington, it's Congressman Dan Bishop. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Bo. Enjoyed it. Every Friday, the best of Bo in one convenient show. We call it... Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. A cold one in Charlotte today, a cold one yesterday. It was summertime inside Spectrum Center, though. It was uh, August 2020 inside of the Spectrum Center because it was the 2020 Republican National Convention official media walkthrough. We got some logistical information about how this convention come next August is going to be carried out. Here uh, in Uptown Charlotte, I had a chance uh, to talk to two of the men who have been instrumental in bringing this here. We are on what will be the convention floor in August of 2020. We're right in front of the podium. This is the media day. This is Ed Driggs, city councilman, Tark Bakari, city councilman, the two uh, the two lone Republicans 
in the middle of what will be GOP country. Uh, what, what are you? What are we thinking right now? Really excited about the prospect of the event. I think this gives you a feel for the scale of the thing. Here we are uh, with less than a year to go, a lot of work to be done, but we're actually on or ahead of schedule with our preparations. So we're pleased about that. Jark, do you concur? Yeah, of course. And, you know, as I'm looking around, we, we get to see in front of us this yellow tape that's um, spread in, in, across the entire arena. And that is representative of the floor. They're raising the floor up that high. So, uh, again, to add on to what Ed's saying, the magnitude the magnitude of our arena here is, is, is big enough on its own. But when you think about how they're changing it, enhancing it for literally um, what is going to be in all eyes of the world on its spectacle, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. I do want to stress the fact that all of these modifications will be done at the expense of the committee, not of taxpayers. Everything's going to be put back the way it was when they're done. So this is a completely self-contained process. It's going to be interesting. I was in Cleveland four years ago, uh, and that was when candidate Trump uh, was running, and that was his convention then. The convention that's going to be in place for re-election Trump version 2.0, so to speak. It's a lot different this uh, this next go-around. Well, we've had uh, four, four years of the president in office. Uh, it's been a controversial time. I think we see that. So there are clearly questions about security. We have given a lot of thought to that. We've done a great deal of work. I feel comfortable that we're going to have a safe convention, but I expect it will be noisy. Tark, do you have any concerns about uh, security and, and, and things that come with a with, with Trump's second run versus first run? I, the way I've described it is I, I am concerned about security like we would be concerned with any major event, and that enables us to put the right level of focus and diligence behind it. I think, though, that we have all the best players um, as it relates to agencies nationwide and across our city and county and state focusing in on this. I have no, con no concern, just general concern, to make sure we stay diligent. But the thing I'm most excited about is now that we're getting closer, other than excitement building, we're able to start kind of matching up and pairing up local businesses and local small businesses with opportunities that they would have never had before. And um, a lot of people are starting to get really excited on, in, on that front. And that's the economic impact that we were, we're talking about all along. And, and Bo, what this also demonstrates is the media attention that we're going to get. I mean, look at this crowd here now. We expect a media presence of 15,000 worldwide. And this really elevates Charlotte on the world map. And I think that's one of the reasons we pursue the convention. So uh, you both were re-elected. You were a few months ago, and, and Tark was last week, and uh, Republicans uh, on city council or county commission, not, not that many of them anymore, uh, you both were re-elected. Re How are you feeling about the, the terms that are coming up, where the GOP will fall in, 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 during those? Well, we held the line, for one, so uh, I think people were wondering whether or not the sweep would continue. I did not have an opponent. Tark won comfortably. Uh, I think we see a lot of opportunity in our continued work on council. Big decisions coming up in the coming term concerning transportation, our planning process. We have to continue our fight against crime. And Tark and I have been able to make a difference in the area. So uh, looking forward to the coming term. We, we talked so much last time about uh, the, the new blood on the city council. There are new people on this particular council that's coming Coming up, and now you all are veterans, obviously. Well, I, Ed is the veteran. I, I still am trying to figure out where all the bathrooms are and everything. But um, I will say that the the amount you learn in that first term is really priceless. I think I go into the second term kind of really understanding uh, what some specific things I want to tackle are. And I think after you look at this last election uh, from last week, it gives a chance for, and I'm not just going to say Republicans or conservatives, just people who are pragmatic and, and, and business or logical minded to have hope, to have hope that a, a, a poorly planned quarter cent sales tax for the arts can still be voted down with such a wide margin. I think a lot of those folks, not just Republicans, but business logical minded people are looking towards the 2020 local elections and thinking, hmm, maybe maybe there is still a chance. Last thing for both of you is Tark Bakari and Ed Driggs were standing on the uh, convention floor. Not not a, you know not not the real thing yet, but this is the first of the, the dry rehearsals, I guess. Did you, either of you ever think, given the fact that the DNC was here in 2012, that the RNC would be here A and B be here so quickly? Uh, I was involved right at the beginning, and I saw the whole thing take shape. 
and uh, it was competitive. So we didn't know, but we put our best foot forward and we saw that they were increasingly focusing on Charlotte. They liked what they saw here in Charlotte. So just watched it grow to where we are today. But it's fantastic. We'll be one of the few cities in the country to have had both conventions. And I imagine at some point today you'll sit back and there's there's an element of pride here uh, to think about where, where we've come. Uh, absolutely. I think this is a major achievement for Charlotte. We're at the sort of lower end of the size of cities that can host these conventions. And this proves to everybody that we have the capacity for it and that we can do it well. Sorry. Any last words on that front? Yeah, Bo, uh, I'm looking up into the nosebleed section. I believe that's where uh, AM Radio Row is going to be. Uh, you will be front and center, well, center, not we'll necessarily front, here, to one of these amazing <laughs> events that, of, of our lifetime. Yeah, I'll yell down and say, hello, Governor McCrory. <laughs> You're listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. So earlier this week at the Spectrum Center, the RNC host committee held a walkthrough for the media, basically uh, describing the logistics of how things are going to work in Uptown Charlotte come August 2020. So yesterday, it was the 2020 RNC Executive Steering Committee Media Roundtable, which effectively means all of the people that will be in charge of law enforcement and taking care of the public and ensuring the safety during this event in August 2020 uh, those people were around this roundtable. I had a chance to attend this. Also had a chance after it was over for a one-on-one with CMPD Chief Kerr Putney. We just finished a, uh, a briefing with Secret Service members and uh, law enforcement and really a who's who of safety personnel for 2020. Absolutely. Great team. Good to talk to you, Bo, and the first time, I think, in the afternoon, so this is new for both of us. Yeah, we have a lot of great partners. Uh, I can tell you, I, I really feel good about the plan that's being developed. We're ahead of schedule right now, and uh, we have good, not just professional relationships, but personal relationships that I think are going to carry us through. One of the things we learned a few days ago at the uh, media briefing for the organizers at the Spectrum Center was, unlike 2012, this time around the convention center is going to be uh, in the perimeter. So that obviously changes things a little bit. It makes your footprint bigger. Uh, what kind of challenge does that uh, pose, uh, or, or does that change things much for, for what you are responsible for? Uh, not really. Um, we know that the growth that has happened here in Charlotte in the center city in particular since 2012 has been uh, pretty impressive and this is just an outshoot of that that we needed more um, uh, available area to have meetings and conduct the business of the convention and now the convention center is going to be a part of that footprint but truthfully it doesn't really impact our work very much at all as far as uh, law enforcement officers. Uh, and one of the things that uh, was said by the Secret Service agent is that obviously 2020 is going to be a bit different than 2012. Uh, I'm curious from your standpoint, how is it different? How is it the same? Yes, the same is our goal is to have a safe convention. Pretty simple. Uh, the difference is uh, the amount of growth, a bit more complex because we have a lot more residents uptown than we had back in 2012 and um, a lot more businesses. So a lot more buildings, uh, the technical um, uh, area of emphasis to make that safe is a bit more complex. Uh, those kinds of nuances that people might not notice are going to make it a bit more um, uh, um, challenging in that respect. But for the most part, our work is the same. Maintaining safety is you see something, you say something. We're going to have a lot of ambassadors, uh, thousands of people out here making sure they showcase our city to have a successful event. So I think the outcome's been going to be pretty much the same. And maybe the way I should have said that is what did you learn in 2012? What do you carry with you having uh, experienced being on the force for that that you apply to 2020? All comes down to communication. Uh, we're going to be talking to those new residents that, that I talked about, new businesses uptown sooner. We're going to be looking at what the impact and how to mitigate that sooner and going to continue that free-flowing conversation a lot sooner this time than we did in 2012. Now, I know a lot of people uh, listening probably are wondering what is your status going to be when the 2020 convention uh, arrives. Uh, that's been a story. Uh, I know there's certain things you can say. Yes, but it's been made a story. Yeah. Well, I know there's certain things you can say and some things you can't. What can you tell me about where that uh, is right now? 
My goal is to be the chief of police and to get us through the Republican National Convention. And I'm going to do everything in my power, everything that I'm capable of doing uh, to make that happen. Uh, things that are beyond my control I can't control, but I can tell you I'm going to support this effort regardless of what happens uh, if people decide that uh, other plans are, are um, going to come to bear that I can't control. But I, I, I see myself being the chief, making sure we get through it, and if not, I'm going to support in every way I can to make sure it's still a safe and successful event. That's as specific as I can be. Fair enough. Uh, last thing, uh, the, the footprint, the perimeter that we talk about. Uh, a lot of people are going to be affected by this uh, who have uptown businesses. Uh, now, Charlotte, people who were there then have been through this before, but uh, as was discussed earlier today, uh, there are a lot of new people. So uh, when will we know timelines? When will uh, things like that be finalized so people can start making their plans for next August? The issue is twofold. One is the timeline as far as when we start communicating, and that's going to be first of the year. So people have the expectation. It won't really be solidified until the summer. So uh, we're going to make plans and, and, and uh, inform people along the way so they can make plans just in case, but we won't really know what that footprint looks like until later in the summer. But uh, our goal in this case, and I think the advantage this time is we know specifically where we need to concentrate and who we need to talk to well, well in advance so that regardless of where that final footprint is, people will be informed and have made uh, accommodations accordingly. Get all your bow on the go. His best of the week on WBT. This is Bo Thompson's WBT podcast. Uh, it's rare that I talk to our next guest when she's in Charlotte because <laughs> she's always traveling, it seems, in high demand all across the country. Our cybersecurity expert, Teresa Payton, joins me now. Uh, you very rarely are in Charlotte, but today is one of those days. It is. It is. I'm really excited. Tonight's going to be the Charlotte Catholic soccer playoff game, and then I'm going to head up to Washington, D.C. for work for the rest of the week. But I am in Charlotte, and now that the rain is cleared, it is gorgeous. But it's cold, so you better bundle up tonight. Uh, I, I know that for a fact. Now, uh, we got a lot to talk about this week. Our cybersecurity expert, uh, Teresa, with us here. And I'll start with uh, something I don't know much about, but this is a headline you're seeing a lot in the last 24 hours. Google's Project Nightingale. Yeah, this is interesting. I'm sort of on the heels of you and I just talked about Google buying Fitbit. And I said, wow, we have more questions and we have answers as to what Google is doing with healthcare data. And now we're learning about Project Nightingale. Um, and this is a project where they're trying to provide healthcare providers a way to sort through all of the information they have on their patients to give you and I better health care. Um, it could be a great idea for a lot of reasons. One is we want proactive looking at past cases to anticipate something that might be wrong with us and to get us a cure faster than we would just on our own and hoping that our doctors and nurses have experienced some of the symptoms we've had before. But there's some places this could be a bad idea. One is Google's been caught in the past not truly anonymizing healthcare data. Um, even when data is anonymized, Bo, you and I both know, like it just takes a few little steps of connecting it to other information and it might point to us. And the concern that I have is none of what they're doing it might be creepy, but it's not technically illegal. Um, and so I, I think there's really not a whole lot that you or I can do at this point other than to speak up and let Google know, hey, watch how you use our data. We want it used to help us, not to hurt us, and to speak up to the Hill and tell them we expect some governance to be going on here. Because what I'd hate to see is this data get uploaded. It's not truly anonymized. And then someone doesn't get health care insurance at the right rate um, because they're considered a risk. Or who knows how this data could be used in the future because we, we don't know. We're not there yet. So uh, help me understand this. Google is teaming up or has already teamed up with Ascension. Uh, Ascension is... Uh, well, it's a, uh, a Catholic chain of 2,600 hospitals and doctor's offices and, and other medical facilities. Uh, this is based out of St. Louis, but uh, they have facilities in 21 states. And so Google uh, merges or teams with Ascension, and you have patients that are affected by this uh, that don't know about it yet. 
No, that's right. And they've done the same with the University of Chicago's medical centers. They've done the same thing with the Mayo Clinic. And I know a lot of people are thinking, wait a minute, HIPAA, that's a privacy law. Um, HIPAA does not state that once you give your health care provider permission to have your health care, it's really about whether or not they can tell somebody your specific status without your express consent. Sharing it to do analytics to give you better health care diagnosis, that is actually not covered in HIPAA. I'm not a lawyer, but when I read the privacy law, there's this gray area where these different hospital networks, in an effort to try and give you better health care and better analytics, they can partner with Google. Google can run it through their Google DeepMind, put it on the Google Cloud, and you don't have to give express written permission for your hospital, your healthcare provider, to do that and share that with Google. That is a big gray area and a big miss in our current privacy legislation. Teresa Payton, our cybersecurity expert, with us here on WBT's Morning News. Uh, you and I try to uh, talk about trends and things that may be coming down the pike uh, that people need to know about. Uh, we, we wonder, in 10 years, will smartphones be in everybody's pocket and everybody's hand the way they are right now or will something else take that place microsoft snap facebook google apple and amazon are all working on prototypes right now for uh smart glasses you know glasses that you wear as opposed to uh, the computer that you hold in your hand uh if this indeed comes to fruition do you have security concerns or should we have angst about this idea uh, I absolutely do, and, and for starters, I guess lens crafters and Ray-Ban better sit up and pay attention because they may get right. replaced if they, they don't enter into the race. But here's the thing. I mean, today we, we do have a privacy and security concern that everybody does have computing power in their pocket to video record, audio record, take pictures of everything on a watch, on a phone, on a tablet, on a laptop. Now, if ostensibly if the design continues to improve on these smart glasses today you kind of look like you're wearing a computer on your head when you wear smart glasses tomorrow as the design improves what's we're, we may not be able to tell the difference between prescription glasses sunglasses and smart glasses and when we hit that point all that idea of privacy and someone having to ask your permission to record you before they do, uh, the idea that, you know, you can't live stream uh, a concert, you need to pay a ticket for a concert, all of those things truly go out the window when these smart glasses become more fashionably, you know, easier to wear and easier to use. And everyone is in the race. You know, Google, Google smart glasses were one of the first things out there. It's not just the smartphone companies, the social media platforms. And I have real concerns around not just the wearer of uh, those glasses being tracked by location, being tracked by their behavior patterns of how they use the glasses and where they are when they use them, but also the people around them. Wherever you are, whenever you're ready. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. Let's bring in uh, to this conversation the play-by-play voice of the Carolina Panthers who, who joins us now, who was in the booth yesterday. And Mick Mixon, uh, before I uh, you know, ask you about uh, things that happened during the game, just as a broadcaster, knowing you uh, as I do, uh, you know, one of the times that you're at Lambeau Field, uh, you've got to hope that, that uh, just for historical bucket list stuff that that it actually is the the frozen tundra and the snow coming <laughs> coming down and that that had to have been at least the backdrop yesterday a pretty cool situation to call a football game in i guess um <laughs> it's uh it would have been better had we won of course then it would have been you know all sugar plum fairies and <laughs> and things like that dancing in our heads but i mentioned on the air a couple of times about it was the closest thing that you can imagine to being in one of those little snow globes <laughs> like you had when you were a kid. Yes. You know, you, who knows what harmful chemicals were in those things, but, you know, you shake them up, and then the <laughs> snow sort of goes up, and it goes down and, and floats around. I mean, the flakes were just going everywhere, and it got harder and harder to see, harder and harder to function, and the Panthers are just disappointed we couldn't have made that a early holiday Christmas card Hallmark moment 
and come home with a victory. I'm just uh, imagining uh, the snow globe now, uh, shaking it up, and there's Mick Mixon <laughs> waving back at you. That's what I'm always going to think of now. Yeah, those would be hot sellers, I'm sure. Oh, and you know who would be standing right beside you would be Yukon Cornelius, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's, that's, that's about it. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, well, I don't know. Have you all talked to I'm sorry I couldn't join you right at Charles did his job. I, I messed up. I ha- was on in Wilmington just now. Uh, when Charles was calling me, nah, man, look, I'm sure Sharon's talked about the the uh, the phantom roughing the passer call that was upsetting. In fact, we were just talking about that, and uh, I also I, I want to ask you this. Now, now Kyle Allen had his uh, highs and lows yesterday, and you can pick them apart. But I do have to say that that last drive, going down the field with the elements being what they were, uh, you had to like the poise that he had uh, going through that, even though it didn't end the way that we wanted it to end. I didn't see this with my own two eyes, but I heard that Jake DeLome, our cherished color analyst, along with Jordan Gross and the Hall of Honor inductee, I heard that he texted some a couple people after the game and, and said he saw a disappointing loss, but he saw something in Kyle Allen, something special in the kid in the moments of that game, the big moments of that game, where Kyle Allen did not wilt from it and, and hung in there and made plays. That that coming, you know, you and I, we could talk about this for, for 20, 20 minutes, but just one or two sentences from Jake means a lot about uh, what, what the future could hold for Kyle Allen, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think he did a, a phenomenal job to bounce back the way that he did. Uh, the defense, maybe, though, something to look at, that, that run defense. What's your uh, opinion of how they did yesterday? Is, that, are we, is it time to get concerned about the, the run defense and they were there the way they were able to get gashed by uh, the Packers yesterday. That's a great point, Sharon. I, I was looking at the stats on the way home, the flight home, and I was sitting there jammed up in the window seat. I had Zoki with me to my left, and then Zoki had the middle seat, and then David Langton to his left. So I had no room. You know, I'm just like a sardine <laughs> in there. So I figured, well, I might as well prepare for the bow shot. I might as well look at these stats. And to see the Panthers give up an average of six yards a whack in the run game, that's certainly un. Carolina Panther defense-like. You give some credit to, to Green Bay and the pluck with which they ran the ball. But, yeah, I think that's definitely something that will get addressed today and this week moving forward at the stadium. Well, and one other thing we mentioned, uh, it's interesting, the shocker of the uh, league yesterday, at least one of them was uh, Atlanta beating New Orleans uh, on their home turf. And so we turn around, we play Atlanta, and then we turn around and play uh, the, the Saints. So the next two weeks should be interesting. Uh, you guys will talk more about it tonight, of course, uh, you and Eugene and Zoki on Panther Talk, 6 o'clock here along the Carolina Panthers radio network. Mick, uh, I know it was a long uh, day and night. Thanks for calling in and checking in this morning. My pleasure, Bo. Always good talking to you. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. There will be no peace until they're gone. Then why do you help? I have never met a Mandalorian. I've only read the stories. If they are true, you will make quick work of it. Then there will again be peace. I have spoken. It is WBT's Friday morning news. Time to bring on from CinemaBlend.com, Sean O'Connell. Man, a lot has happened since the last time I talked to you. Well, listen, it's a busy time of the year in this industry with Thanksgiving holiday ramping up and the end of the year. There's a lot of stuff happening. Well, and it's not just every Tuesday that Disney launches its own streaming service, but that's what they've done. Uh, Disney Plus is now live. And I want to talk about the carrot that they've been dangling in front of everybody to try to get them to join, at least lots of people. Uh, That's the new Star Wars series, The Mandalorian. You've watched it. I've watched it, at least episode one. And I've come to find out that episode two actually uh, drops today. I thought it was going to be a, you know week increments, and uh, the, at least for the episode two, it comes a little quicker than that. I, yeah, I do love the fact that they had, so apparently there are three you know episodes kind of ready to go. I th- well, maybe all eight of them are ready to go at this point, but I do know that in some cities, they had like theatrical events where you could go to the theater and watch the first three episodes. Um, I, I kind of prefer this too, Bo. I, I like when the streaming services dole out uh, an episode one at a time as opposed to a binge, um, because once the binge is over, 
uh, you know, and, and an eight episode binge can go really, really quickly. Uh, I, I kind of do, and we've discussed this. You know, I like having appointment television and being able to go back to enjoy something. However, uh, that being said, when we got to the end of episode one of The Mandalorian because of the reveal, and I won't say anything here in case yeah. you haven't had a chance to catch up with it yet, um, I absolutely would have pressed play on the next episode had it been available. So the story really hooked me, and um, I, I like the main character. Uh, even though he's relatively silent, he strikes me as sort of a Clint Eastwood uh, Western hero, you know, strong, silent type. It's back to the bounty hunters. It, it feels like it fits in that era of right after Return of the Jedi. And, and yeah, after one episode, I'm hooked, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching uh, episode two a little bit later today. Well, I saw John Favreau, uh, who directed this and is uh, executive producer, say that uh, he not only is he going for the feel of the 1977 first Star Wars movie, he's going going for the feel of the first act of the first movie, uh, and I think he's right. I mean, it feels like Star Wars more than anything since 1977, as far as I'm concerned. It really does, and and to that, I'm also going to credit uh, Dave Filoni, and if anyone is a diehard Star Wars fan, you know who he is. Uh, he's a writer uh, and has been at Lucasfilm for a really long time. He's been responsible for two of the most popular animated Star Wars uh, shows that we've had recently, which is The Clone Wars and then Star Wars Rebels, and both both of those shows, when I got a chance to watch them, they just understand how to tell stories in the Star Wars universe. Uh, Filoni really knows what he's doing. He, he created the character of Ahsoka Tano, and uh, she, she's a fan favorite, obviously, and then um, he's done some amazing things with characters like Darth Maul and Yoda, and, and so uh, he's contributing to The Mandalorian also, and I think him and Favreau combined are just two diehard Star Wars geeks, and and so far from everything I've seen, uh, you know they're pouring their heart and soul into this this series. So the Mandalorian, for those keeping score at home, episode two today, and then uh, three, four, and five uh, the next several Fridays, and this uh, really lines up just about to uh, the opening of of the Rise of Skywalker in theaters. So if you're if you're a Star Wars fan, you have lots to look forward to in a short amount of time. Absolutely, and then uh, coming to Disney Plus. After that, though, I think it's going to take some time. Uh, the next thing I think that most people are really looking forward to is the Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, show that Ewan McGregor is going to do, which I believe is going to take place you know, after Revenge of the Sith and leading up to him being in A New Hope uh, as the character played by Alec Guinness. But I think we're a, a little way off before that happens. Well, and Star Wars is just a part of this Disney Plus service. I know you've had a chance to spend some time navigating through that. Uh, other than the Star Wars stuff, uh, what else What would you think of everything? Well, I mean, the first thing I watched uh, officially on Disney Plus, of course, was Avengers Endgame. I mean, <laughs> no joke if you've listened to me on this show. Over the years, you know that I'm a Marvel kid, and so to the ability to have uh, all of the Marvel movies, or I'm sorry, they're not all there, but most of the Marvel movies um, at your fingertips. What's odd is that Endgame is there, but I don't believe Infinity War is, uh, uh, even though I kind of want to watch the two of them back-to-back. There's some really good um, making of stuff for the MCU there, including... Um, there's a, I guess called Expanding the Universe, which is a, um, a segment, an 18-minute segment that maps out everything that's coming in Phase 4. And it's all of the footage that Marvel showed uh, at San Diego Comic-Con and D23 for a lot of its um, Disney Plus TV shows, which would be Falcon and the Winter Soldier or Loki and WandaVision. So I had a lot of fun exploring that. But also um, the Pixar section is fantastic. There's a new short on there uh, called Float that Michelle and I watched, and it just <laughs> devastated us in, in four minutes or six minutes or however long it was. It, I mean, it's a, emotional Pixar uh, to the core. And But again, like every Pixar short that's ever existed, every Pixar feature is there. Last night, just from banging around it, we threw on Moana because we haven't seen it in a while and love the music to it. Uh, the, the way that the app works has been really impressive so far. I know that they had a lot of glitches, technical glitches, on their first day as their servers were overwhelmed. But since then, uh, I haven't had any real problems with it, and I think it's been it's been working spectacularly because I really like the design of it. Well, you know, uh, when you navigate through it, you really realize how much Disney actually owns now. I mean, uh, all these different franchises, and one that uh, f- uh, it flies under the radar a little bit, 
The Simpsons. They have the Simpsons catalog. There has been some controversy this week about uh, earlier Simpsons episodes and aspect ratio, as it you know, because the first uh, what twenty seasons of the Simpsons were before uh, HD TVs, and so uh, in today's world, when you watch those old episodes, they stretch it out for the HD screen. Well, when you do that for the Simpsons, uh, you know, the Simpsons are full of. You know, gags that uh, blink and you miss them. But Simpsons fanatics, you know, they they love that about the show. And so the inability to watch the uh, the, the standard version, which uh, apparently you can't watch the standard version, they're all just converted for HD. That has uh, upset a lot of uh, of Simpson fanatics. Yeah, it's really frustrating, especially if they're making that decision for you. If mm-hmm. you have the option to stretch it, great. You know, but if you have the option to watch it in its original aspect ratio. That's even better. Um, but, you know, we're also in, a, in an age where nobody knows what device you're watching your particular streaming service on. Um, could be a phone, could be a tablet, could be the big screen TV. Uh, and it's really hard, I think, for the people who are putting it out to um, guess, <laughs> to do some guesswork. But I, I agree with you. I think what they should do is just give you, you know, the chance to choose between which one fits your format best. I, it feels like Disney Plus, as they're going through this, though, of course, there are going to be some bumps uh, in the early going, but it feels like they're pretty quick to address a lot of this stuff. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it, how it plays out for the next few weeks. I imagine the Thanksgiving uh, holiday weekend with families all getting together is going to be a great test for their servers because uh, I think if you own it, you know, and you have a lot of family over, that's a great chance to just put some stuff on and, and, and test drive it and then let people see what, uh, what they can get. Good morning, angels. Good morning, Charlie. We continue on this Friday morning with Sean O'Connell from CinemaBlend.com. So we talked about Disney+. Plus. That's obviously been a big entertainment industry story. But we have several movies opening up today. First one uh, is in the category of who asked for this? Charlie's Angels. Uh, there, there were, what, two Charlie's Angels reboot movies with uh, Drew Barrymore and Cameron Diaz, what, about a decade or so ago? And then there was a, a, a failed TV reboot about five years ago. Everything goes back to the Farrah Fawcett days of, of, of 1978 and 79, right? But uh, obviously this is a well that's, that people in Hollywood keep thinking they can go back to and somebody's going to strike gold. Sure, and it's a lot of times it, a studio has to m- keep making movies in certain franchises or they risk the the um, fact that they may lose the rights to the title. And and in today's day and age, audiences do still usually respond to to things that they're familiar with. You know, they're coming to a, a title because, oh, Charlie's Angels, I know what that is at the very least. I, I might give it a shot. And so you go to the casting, like who's going to be really interesting in it? And I know Elizabeth Banks, who a lot of people know from um, her, her film roles, uh, she's, she's uh, wading into directing, and she directed Pitch Perfect, and she's gonna, she directed this movie as well, too. So it's the first action movie for her. she got Kristen Stewart and Naomi Scott as angels for her. But, but one of the things she's doing in this one is she's uh, opening, up, opening it up to the global stage, and there's multiple Bosleys. Uh, Patrick Stewart, Jaiman Hansu, she's a Bosley. So there's, there's going to be a lot of Bosleys, a lot of different Angels teams. And uh, if you stay toward the end of the film, you're going to get overwhelmed by a bunch of cameos uh, with famous people who are going to be playing Angels. And so, you know, it's entertaining from that aspect. Ford versus Ferrari also opens up today. Oh, and it's one of the best movies this year. Um, Bo, it's, it's one of those ones that's right there at the bottom of my top ten. Um, and every time I see another movie that has the potential to knock it out, I always come up with, excuses to leave Ford versus Ferrari in there. Um, it's just, when people say they don't make movies like they used to, they're talking about movies like this, which are just, um, you know, really well done, uh, solid A-list actors in the leads, uh, practical effects, a competent sort of underdog sports movie. It, you know, James Mangold, the director, he's making comparisons between this movie and the first Rocky, and he's not that far off. Like, you just, you root for the people, uh, the characters involved, even if you know nothing about cars or uh, sports racing, it's just thrilling and compelling. And uh, I recommend this one so much to just about anybody who, even if, like, if you go to one or two movies out of the year, this is the type of movie that you want to see on the big screen because it just does everything well. And uh, coming soon, you've seen this one, though, Knives Out. And I've seen the trailer, uh, the commercials for this one uh, a lot, and it looks equally good. It does, because the cast is fantastic. The director is Ryan Johnson. Uh, he did, obviously, the last Star Wars movie, um, 
The Last Jedi, but he specializes in uh, murder mysteries. He did a movie called Brick. He did Looper with Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and he's back telling a murder mystery. He, it's an Agatha Christie, you know, ripoff, basically. He, he readily admits that he's trying to make an Agatha Christie movie. But it's a tremendous cast that includes uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Don Johnson, Michael Shannon, uh, Christopher Plummer, Chris Evans, and they're all just having so much fun playing um, suspects in a clue-type uh, murder mystery. And then Daniel Craig is the director, is the uh, detective, trying to figure out uh, who done it in this one. And he does it with like an over-the-top sort of foghorn, leghorn accent, and it's just. It's giddy fun. I had, a, I had a really great time with Knives Out. I think you and I could go uh, several hours today. There's enough stuff, it seems like. <laughs> and uh, we have Frozen 2 and the Tom Hanks Mr. Rogers movie coming up next week as we uh, really get into the heart of the holiday movie season. Uh, we'll have to stop it there for now. Sean O'Connell, CinemaBlend.com. Have a great weekend. All right, you too, Bob. Talk to you soon. The best of the week on to men. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. <laughs> Three, four! Eight in front Three, of four. 8 o'clock on News Talk 1110 WBT. Three, Boy, I can't imagine two more appropriate people to have with me this morning after what happened last night in Cleveland. And a fight at the nine-yard line. Flags are thrown. The Browns and the Steelers and... Garrett just threw a punch, and Pittsburgh retaliating. Marquise Pouncey was kicking in there, and flags are flying. With eight seconds left, the Steelers are running from the sideline to join in, and this one is going to end in ugly fashion. Well, it's really ugly, and I have no idea what Miles Garrett is thinking. Garrett loses it, rips the helmet off, of Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph gets up and Garrett takes the helmet that he has in his hand, overhand swings it at the head of Mason Rudolph. The call from Westwood One. I have Clevelanders, Jim Zoki and Nick Wilson in studio with me right now. You most recently came from Cleveland. I mm-hmm. can't imagine what Cleveland sports talk radio is going to be like. Today. Uh, well, I, if you just go out, if there's a dumpster nearby, you put a bunch of trash in it and set it on fire, that will be Cleveland sports radio today. <laughs> Nick uh, Wilson and Jim Zoki. You know, we've been in this business a long time. Uh, there, there are rare that are mornings where you come on the air, you're going, wow, that's a new one. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that was definitely a new one. And uh, uh, well, listen, I. I grew up in in Cleveland. I've supported teams that are 0 and 16, 1 and 15, have lost every imaginable way. Started 7 and 4, ended 7 and 9. Like, you know, we're a playoff team and then suddenly weren't. I have supported every class and manner of team. This is the least likable Cleveland Browns team I may have ever seen, and it's not because of Baker and Odell. I mean, they're a part of it. It's because of stuff like you saw last night. The Miles Garrett thing was one thing, and he is going to get a very significant punishment on this. You also saw that one of their uh, free safeties Mm -hmm. get kicked out earlier in the game for hitting a defenseless receiver in, in in a hit so egregious, the guy left the game bleeding from the ear. Yep. Steelers had three concussions in this game. And remember Turkey Joe Jones throwing Terry Bradshaw on his head? This was like the most egregious thing since he tried to pile drive him into the, the turf at Three Rivers. But I don't think he tried to. I think he did pile drive him. <laughs> and there's always missing a metal folding chair last night. There are some people who are saying that uh, Miles Garrett should be gone for the year. Mm-hmm. Do you? Where, Those people are Marquis Pouncey, by the way. He's <laughs> the one saying that. Uh, well, and Damian Woody last night mm-hmm. on on ESPN. I I don't think that you can go too heavy on a this season suspension. I think I, I'm going to go ahead and get away from saying what I think the suspension should be because, quite frankly, right now, everybody hit, we've, we've got the mob rolling, and the mob is very much, ah, you should never play again, or, you know, you should never play again this year. Like, I think that stuff is, is unnecessary. I think we can all look at this and say it needs to be multiple games. And when I say multiple games, he shouldn't be playing up against Pittsburgh in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it wouldn't bug me if he was not back until December or later. Uh, I... I, I don't trust the NFL to get this right because they're stupid, and the NFL <laughs> does stupid things. But I, I, I would imagine it's it, you would want to go harder on the punishment than softer, and I think that's the right move. I hate to bring this up because you know Mason Rudolph's from Rock Hill, and he's got his supporters at Northwestern High School, but he did start it. He grabbed Miles Garrett by the back of his helmet, attempting to pull Miles Garrett's helmet off, but he was unsuccessful. In no way condones the 
extreme overreaction of Miles Garrett, but it did begin, and I don't know what was being said as he's being taken to the ground there, but uh, but there was some Rudolph kind of to me, bringing, bringing that into play. To me, there should be three clear suspensions. Mason Rudolph absolutely started it. Uh, he was tugging on Miles Garrett's neck. That would make most grown men go insane. Not necessarily hit you with a helmet, but uh, definitely drive you insane and cause a little bit of a, a ruckus. Uh, he deserves it. Miles Garrett deserves the biggest suspension for that uh, foolishness. And then Marquise Pouncey, I'm sorry. you. He's the one that turned it into a brawl. Uh, okay, let me put it this way. Miles Garrett started the brawl. Marquise Pouncey escalated the brawl and took it to an unhealthy situation. I think those three guys, at least, and maybe uh, Larry, Larry Ogunjobi as well. From uh, Charlotte 49ers came in because at that point. Uh, good to see the local Rudolph kids represented. We've got some good locals. You know, well, they always said in J school, localized stories. So, well, and, uh, and, and you get over the shock of, of the, the helmet hit. And then, then I, I'm marveling over Mason Rudolph. Not keeling over and falling to the ground after being hit. He says he throws his hands up in the air, and basically it looks like, bring it on. I mean, my, this well, is just... my favorite thing about that is he does, though, what, what, what's go, what, what, the, the, <laughs> no, the hands up in the air. That's and, a rule, isn't it? It's a rules violation. And then Larry Ogunjobi with the smartest play of the year. Hey, the quarterback's standing up. Let's go push him down. <laughs> okay. Like, okay. What, what's going so, on? So uh, we got about 30 seconds. So two things to squeeze into that. First of all, uh, double-digit teams heading to Atlanta on or, or representatives from double-digit numbers of teams. Teams to Atlanta to see Colin Kaepernick work out. Yeah, this uh, this is still feeling like a little bit of a PR, uh, little PR kerfuffle by the NFL trying to say, see, look, he he totally is going to have teams look at him. Uh, the way they set it up, putting on a Saturday when everybody's traveling to other games, is a little bit insincere. I do hope that the eleven teams that are going are at least going to give him a legit a legitimate chance. Aren't just going for the sake of going. Uh, regardless of how you feel about Colin Kaepernick, no, the whole PR thing just. Hopefully it's a legitimate thing. And, and, just, why, and just to pile on, Hugh Jackson is running this thing. They're tanking it. <laughs> they are why, tanking it. Why is uh, is the stadium dormant in Atlanta when this is going to be happening? Because the Falcons will be in Charlotte. Well, a segue. Very good. To play the Panthers on Sunday. We really have no time, but uh, real quick, both of you. Panthers, Falcons, 1 o'clock. Here we go. Atlanta won last week, so that does make this a little more interesting. And, of course, the Panthers lost. Uh, yeah, you want, you want to see another bounce-back game. This is very similar to the Titans game. Go out, take care of a team you should beat. Two things. Uh, I'm definitely going, and uh, i got to stop the run, even though they're a passing team. But just in general, the Panthers need to shore that up. That's good to know you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. That's I'm going to get there early enough to be there there three hours before kickoff. I've been promoting it all week that you're going to be there. So I'm glad, <laughs> glad you're going to follow through. Well, Charles isn't here today, and he was supposed well, to be here, true. so you never know. Stadium show, 10 a.m. with Jim Zoki, Bank of America Stadium. And, of course, 1 o'clock kickoff. Uh, Wilson and Parcel later this morning, 10 a.m. on WFNZ. Thank you, as always. Anytime, buddy. Bo Thompson, his best of the week on WPT. Plus, extended interviews and exclusive digital content. This is Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Host of Capital Tonight on Spectrum News. You can see him every weeknight, 7 o'clock across the state. And he is Tim Boyum back with us this morning. Tim, how you doing, my friend? I'm very good, my friend. Thank you for having me, as always. Yes, sir, and I, I, I need to tell you, uh, the governor, uh, McCrory, and yours truly, were, were, we played a clip of your uh, podcast, your Tying It Together podcast, uh, not, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, right after you released the one where uh, you talked to the governor. He was very complimentary of that conversation. I, I hope you know. Well, I, I appreciate that for his sake, and I mean, he deserves a lot of credit, too. He gets a lot of flack, but uh, he is open and honest, and either, you know, you, you got to like him for that, even though a lot of people don't like his politics, <laughs> I certainly appreciate him being willing to share some of those stories. It was uh, fascinating. Yeah, as the podcast tying it together that Tim does, uh, great work as always. And, uh, you know, a a deep dive into uh, conversations with uh, some of these uh, statewide figures that you've reported on so many uh, times over the years. So uh, in Washington, D.C. yesterday, day one of the public uh, impeachment hearings, uh, I got a couple of clips that I want to play and then get your reaction to. Uh, This one, of course, Bill Taylor was uh, one of those who testified yesterday. And uh, let me play this here. Professor Sondland called President Trump and told him of his meetings in Kiev. The member of my staff could hear President Trump on the phone asking Ambassador Sondland about the investigations. Ambassador Sondland told President Trump the Ukrainians were ready to move forward. Following the call with President Trump, the member of my staff asked Ambassador Sondland what President Trump thought about Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland responded that President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden, which Giuliani was pressing for. At the time I gave my deposition on October 22nd, 
I was not aware of this information. I'm including it here for completeness. Bill Taylor, who is a top U.S. diplomat in Ukraine, uh, he testified yesterday, as did George Kent, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State. Uh, Tim, what would you make of what you heard yesterday? You know, what's interesting is we've gotten so information, so much information, you know, from from transcripts and, and members of Congress talking about what's happened. I don't know if I was overly surprised. That part there was new information, so that was certainly interesting. Uh, the, the the problem, I, I don't know if problem is the right word, but I, I think we're sitting at the end of the day where we still will be because both sides are, you know, just making their points. Republicans are going to say, even what you heard there, it's not firsthand knowledge. And so this is all hearsay. Uh, Mark Meadows, the congressman from North Carolina, said people are yawning in the audience. I uh, said, you know, they're complaining about the process still. Uh, the, the danger in that tactic, though, is that we may hear from Sondland. Uh, firsthand uh, what he said. And then also uh, the gentleman that talked to Bill Taylor is now set to give a behind-the-doors deposition on Friday. So I still think there's more to come, and this is the building of a case. Uh, but, you know, it, it, this is such a political process now. I'm not so sure anything's going to change the minds of anyone on either side. Well, one of the things you heard from Republicans yesterday uh, was that a lot of the testimony had the feel of uh, a movie that you and I grew up on. Uh, at least I, I, it's, it's from uh, both of our eras, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where he says, my brother's sister's boyfriend's girlfriend saw Ferris at 31 Flavors. So uh, Jim Jordan, who's on the, uh, the House uh, Intelligence Committee, a, a Republican, this is a Jim Jordan talking to Bill Taylor yesterday. So you weren't on the call, were you? The president, you didn't listen on President Trump's call and President Lindsey's call? I did not. You've never talked with Chief of Staff Mulvey? I never did. You never met the president. That's correct. He had three meetings again with Zelensky and it didn't come up. And two of those they had never heard about as far as I know. And president there was Lins- no reason for it. President Zelensky never made an announcement. This, this is what I can't believe. And you're their star witness. You're their first witness. Mr. You're Jordan. the guy. You're the guy based on this, based on, I mean, I've seen, I've seen church prayer chains that are easier to understand than this. Ambassador Taylor recalls that Mr. Morrison told, now again, this is, I hereby swear and affirm from Gordon Sondland. Ambassador Taylor recalls that Mr. Morrison told Ambassador Taylor that I told Mr. Morrison and I conveyed this message to Mr. Yarmouk on September 1st, 20. This all happens, by the way. This all happens, by the way, in Warsaw, where Vice President Pence meets with President Zelensky. And guess what? They didn't talk about any linkage either. Time the gentleman's expired. So I guess maybe the theme of the day for Republicans uh, would have been or is uh, hearsay. This is a lot of hearsay, uh, Tim. Yeah, and I think you're going to keep hearing that. But again, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they turn uh, asking questions once. You know, Sondland and some of these others get up that did have direct contact and did have these conversations uh, with the president. We, we had a guest on last night on Capitol Tonight uh, that did sort of move forward. What I think might be an argument moving forward is that, you know, Ukraine is one of the most corrupt countries and that we should be more careful about just giving aid away to these countries and that the president doesn't like giving foreign aid in the first place. So I think that's the next step in the argument against uh, this impeachment. Uh, but it's an evolving process, and we'll see what happens next. You know, we also talked to Rufus Edmiston, who's the North Carolina guy that delivered the subpoena to the White House during Watergate. And he said it's just the American public's not, quote-unquote, sort of excited about this hearing and not paying attention, and that the Democrats need that if they're going to go after President Trump and anything's going to happen. So we'll see. Rufus Edmiston. Boy, that's a name from the past. That's, uh, he, ran, he ran for governor against Jim Martin back in the 80s. Uh, yes, one more sir. clip here. One more clip. Uh, this is a short one, but it does speak to uh, looking ahead a bit. And this is back to Jim Jordan, uh, in this case, in this case uh, sparring a bit with Adam Schiff. Just to ask a, a clarifying question, do you anticipate when we might vote on the ability to have the whistleblower in front of us, something you... Of the 435 members of Congress, you are the only member who knows who that individual is, and your staff is the only staff of any member of Congress who's had a chance to talk with that individual. We would like that opportunity. When might that happen in this proceeding today? First, as the gentleman knows, that's a false statement. I do not know the identity of the whistleblower, and I'm determined to make sure that identity is protected. But as I said to Mr. Conaway, you will have an opportunity after the witnesses testify to make a motion to subpoena any witness and compel a vote. 
And that exchange uh, got a lot of attention yesterday for two reasons. A, because you know there's the question about whether or not uh, the whistleblower would ever have the chance to testify, along with other uh, you know uh, people that the Republicans would like to see uh, take the stand. Hunter Biden being one of them. But the other side of that is, does is it really true that Adam Schiff doesn't know the identity of the whistleblower? Yeah, and he denies it. I mean, you know, lots of times there's a record, a uh, paper trail of sorts, a digital paper trail with this. So I guess the truth may come out in the end with that. You know, I think we're going to keep hearing that about the whistleblower moving forward from folks like Jim Jordan because the president, again, himself reiterated yesterday that the whistleblower, you know, needs to come forward, needs to testify, uh, which would be an interesting tactic if that indeed did happen, considering the future of whistleblowing in this country. But regardless... Uh, that is another tactic that Republicans are going to keep pushing forward as this moves on uh, and, and, and really trying to discredit Adam Schiff. Uh, the president's been trying to do that for some time, um, but I, I think we'll see that uh, move forward as well as we hear more of these witnesses. Well, more tomorrow, day two, and then uh, well into next week, of course. Uh, he is Tim Boyum, host of Capital Tonight on Spectrum News. Tim, uh, always enjoy the conversation, my friend. Well, back at you, my friend. You guys do an amazing job. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. Thanks so much. I always kind of saw myself as the uh, as the bridge between the old WBT and the new WBT. Um, and now you're the bridge. Is there anything and that we haven't if, talked about that you want people to know about? If people like this interview, you're just as important to this interview as I was. You asked very good questions because you brought out a lot of things that I had forgotten. To me, Ty Boyd saying the call letters, There, there is, that's the standard uh, uh, hearing the WBT WBT <laughs> what do those call letters mean to you everything download the first five episodes of Bo Thompson's Century podcast Don Russell and James K Flynn both of you were institutions in your own right already before the morning show duo ever came to be except it's more like we were institutionalized <laughs> institutions but Bo Thompson good morning Al Gardner, it is uh, awesome to hear your voice. Listen now at WBT.com, Radio.com, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's always a two-way street. It's a team thing, and people forget that. We were both good today. Because our last name is Thompson. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. Kenny Smith to the WBT Hotline. Kenny, good morning. Morning, Buzz. How are you? I'm doing all right. So Bill Taylor and George Kent had their day behind the microphone yesterday. Uh, and, and that clip I just played, a lot of Democrats pointing to that particular exchange as uh, possibly uh, learning something new from yesterday as it relates to President Trump and his view of all this. So what did you make of it? I, I call yesterday the shift whiff. <laughs> I mean, the shift whiff. The shift whiff. It's the, the, uh, the buildup to this was that there would be kind of lots of new information, fireworks, and all these sort of pomp and pageantry that goes along with uh, live uh, stream televised uh, hearings. And nothing happened. There was no new information, no bombshell, no smoking gun. And more importantly, I mean, I felt there were two critical exchanges throughout throughout the hearings. The, the first was, when uh, they asked, uh, I guess when Radcliffe, Congressman Radcliffe, asked both folks testifying if he thought it was an impeachable offense, and there was no answer. And then the second was when Ambassador Taylor basically admitted his entire testimony was based on second, third hand hearsay. My, my question is, why isn't the whistleblower testifying, or why aren't the members of the staff that apparently heard conversations that they feel are peaceful offenses aren't testifying. Well, you mentioned uh, that exchange uh, with Bill Taylor, and it was uh, Congressman Jim Jordan. So you weren't on the call, were you? The president, you didn't listen on President Trump's call and President Lissy's call? I did not. You never talked with Chief of Staff Mulvaney? I never did. You never met the president? That's correct. You had three meetings again with Zelensky and it didn't come up? And two of those they had never heard about as far as I know. And President there was Lissy, no reason for it President Zelensky never made an announcement? This, this is what I can't believe. And you're their star witness. You're their first witness. Mr. You're the Jordan. guy. You're the guy based on this, based on, I mean, I've seen, I've seen church prayer chains that are easier to understand than this. Ambassador Taylor recalls that Mr. Morrison told, now again, this is, I hereby swear and affirm from Gordon Sondland. 
Ambassador Taylor recalls that Mr. Morrison told Ambassador Taylor that I told Mr. Morrison and I conveyed this message to Mr. Yarmouk on September 1st, 20. This all happens, by the way. This all happens, by the way, in Warsaw, where Vice President Pence meets with President Zelensky. And guess what? They didn't talk about any linkage either. Time the gentleman's expired. Now, not that this is a surprise, but uh, you will hear people on both sides after yesterday taking a victory lap. Uh, No doubt. And this is there are a couple things here. One is Representative uh, Mike Quigley said hearsay can be better than direct evidence after that exchange. Uh, The cake has been baked. Donald Trump's primary issue was he was elected they started talking impeachment before he got in the office they're going to hang their hat on this everybody expects the house to vote and likely to get the votes nobody expects the senate to acquit here's what i think it's going to probably likely backfire on the democrats as we move into election cycle senate hearings will be at the heat of their primaries i i think that as you're looking at it no opinions have been changed by testimony to date. No opinions have been changed really by information to date. I think Americans are going to start to tune out sooner rather than later. If you're a casual interest and you're not politinerds like you and I are, after yesterday, you're not likely to tune in for for day two, in my, in my opinion. Well, I was uh, making the point yesterday, uh, I, I don't think your average person on the street uh, could have told you who Bill Taylor or George Kent was uh, going into yesterday or really after yesterday. But I do wonder, uh, do you believe that some of these other witnesses, uh, especially some of the ones that Republicans are pressing for, like Hunter Biden or even the uh, alleged whistleblower, do you think uh, we may ultimately see uh, one of those or both of those? Uh, Doubtful. Um, I I just I think that uh, Schiff and Pelosi have put tight reins on this intentionally the whistleblower who has been outed in non-traditional media sources has ties to the previous administration worked for joe biden i don't think schiff wants that on the record and i also don't think schiff wants him to answer the question under oath whether they had met prior to to the hearings i think this will continue on the course where you'll have no surprise witnesses republicans aren't going to have much say and kudos to the GOP for getting Jim Jordan on that committee. You know, I always like to sort of say my big winners and losers mm-hmm. from debates in these events. Jim Jordan was the clear winner yesterday and how he comported himself and the questions he asked. I think Schiff was the big loser. I don't think the needle moves at all. My gut is still that the impeachment process favors Trump in 2020. I think what the Democrats have missed, and I've heard a lot of Republicans say this, that may not be, air quotes, huge Trump supporters. They think the Russian investigation was forced. They think impeachment's enforced. And I think the Democrats are pushing people to defend Trump and sort of stay aligned with him that may not necessarily do it. Um, if the Democrats hadn't overplayed their hand, so to speak. Kenny, i got to stop it there. I appreciate your uh, perspective, as always. Thank you. Hey, folks, stay warm. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Thanks for listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Hear Bo live weekday mornings 5 to 8 on WPT's Morning News and 8 to 10 on the Pat McRory Show with Bo Thompson. Plus, on demand anytime at WPT.com and Radio.com. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Missick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.